Welcome to Automotive Insiders, the podcast series presented by OESA, the Original Equipment Suppliers Association. You'll hear from automotive industry experts on the critical issues that are impacting the mobility landscape. Get actionable insights on how to thrive in Automotive 2.0. Now, here's your Automotive Insiders host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome to Automotive Insiders, presented by OESA, the Original Equipment Suppliers Association. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Happy to be here with a very, very relevant and timely topic for you. I'm welcoming back one of our regular speakers and guests, Bill Newman. He is the North America Executive Industry Advisor. He also says in the German vernacular, he's called a chief at SAP. Welcome back, Bill. And we're welcoming a newcomer to Automotive Insiders. It's Kevin Foster. He's a senior manager in Deloitte's SAP practice leading innovation in the automotive industry. And Kevin, that's what we're all about is innovation in the industry. How are you, Kevin Foster? Fantastic. Happy to be here, Bonnie. Thank you. Glad to have you. Let's do a couple of introductions here. We're going to start with Bill. I'll get to the topic in a minute, but it's most important that our listeners get to know who you two are, why you're experts and specialists, and what's your passion for being here today. So Bill Newman, just give us an overview in case there are Four people in the world who don't remember you, tisk tisk on them. Go ahead, Bill, talk to me. Hey, thanks, Bonnie, and uh, thank you, Automotive Insider listeners, and uh, welcome, Kevin, to the program today. Um, my name is Bill Newman. Uh, for those of you who haven't uh, heard me on this and other shows before, I'm North America Industry Executive Advisor for SAP, responsible for go-to-market and automotive uh, here in North America. Uh, first got started in, uh, in in the airplane business way back when, uh, worked on the B-2 stealth bomber program, uh, love and uh Work brought me back to Detroit, been here for about 25 years, uh, formerly with Volkswagen, and I've worked with a number of the larger auto uh, vehicle makers as well as the suppliers um, here in Detroit. Um, so I'm, I'm very excited to be here today, and I'm, I'm particularly interested in today's topic around vehicle profitability. Thanks, Bonnie. Thank you, Bill, and thanks for giving us a clue about the topic. And I'm going to introduce the topic after we meet Kevin Foster. Kevin, I'm putting you on speaker view. Would you please do me the honor of telling us a little bit about what you do in automotive? How did you get into the automotive field to begin with and that kind of thing? Welcome, Kevin Foster. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Bonnie. Pleasure to be here. Automotive Insider listeners, thank you for having me. Um, So I was born and bred in uh, Detroit. So obviously, as I graduated from college, had to start off in the automotive industry, where else would you start? And since then have worked for automotive suppliers, OEMs, captive finance companies, and uh, throughout uh, all the market anyways, and have seen the transformation in auto and really excited for what's upcoming and as the future mobility unfolds. So looking forward to 2025, 2030 to see, you know, where we go with EV and AV technology. Interesting. I like the way you push that looking forward to out so far because we're here. It's April, almost late April 2021. And Kevin and Bill, we've most of us have all of us here have made it through the pandemic. We've made it through some really rough times around the world. And Kevin, I was surprised a couple months ago on one of these automotive insider shows, the CEO of OESA, Julie Freem, mentioned this was last year that the automotive factory, the part of the, the manufacturers were shut down 
around for something like 45 days. Kevin, as an automotive industry person, were you shocked that they actually stopped producing for that long? Absolutely. So it's uh, auto has hit quite a quite quite a year here in terms of all the disruptions they've had with COVID, supplier network shortage, chips manufacturing now. So it's been a quite quite a quite an interesting year for auto. Certainly has, and that's why I'm glad you're both here. Now let's get to the topic. I'm going to introduce the topic with a paraphrase by Bill Newman. Bill, you are senior enough to be deserving of a paraphrase of Lee Coca. Okay, I'm crediting with this. Bill is calling this segment People, Vehicles, and Profit, but here's where it comes from. Lee Coca, original name Lido Anthony Lee Iacocca, 1924 to 2019 was as many of you know, American automobile executive, best known for the development of, oh, a car we all love to talk about, the Ford Mustang and the Ford Pinto while he was at the Ford Motor Company. And he revived the Chrysler Corporation as CEO in the 1980s. Bravo, Lee Iacocca. Here's the original quote. In the end, all business operations can be reduced to three words, people, product, and profit. But Bill Newman saw fit to change those three P's and turn them into people, vehicles, and profit. So, Bill, on that note, let me introduce what we're going to be talking about. We're going to do a back-and-forth point-counterpoint today on this segment, and I'm going to read a topic from Bill. Bill will expand it for a couple minutes, and then, Kevin, will do counterpoint with you. You can agree with Bill. You can disagree with him. Add your own thought leadership. And we've got three topics to cover, so let's get started. Number one, Bill says, vehicle logistics and profitability is an area of importance to all vehicle makers, distributors, and complex supplier assemblies to ensure that vehicle and products are built to plan, sold to plan, and guess what? Delivered to plan. I'm going to stop there. Bill, expand us, please. Tell us what this all is about. Yeah, so this is an age-old problem that we have in the automotive space, and it's not just relegated to, to, to full vehicles. It's, you know, all the parts and pieces that go into a car from design to sourcing to assembly um, and, and all of the supplier um, parts that go into into the vehicle. And after the vehicle is made and it's uh, sent to the distributor, every every organization has a view of where things need to be uh, where they need to be to maximize profit, the cost models associated with them, and and that view changes as you move across the value chain from one stage of of the development to the next. Um, so as we kind of explore this topic together, keep in mind that I might be a supplier that develops a complex subassembly. When I ship that to the manufacturing plant, my subassembly is sold. The manufacturing plant, though, views that as an input to its final vehicle. That final vehicle then is sold to a distributor typically, and that distributor then takes that final vehicle as its finished good input and routes it to a distributor. And there's different cost, sales, profit, and logistics models that go with all of that really to drive out what a full picture of, for example, the profitability of a program is. And so, you know, uh, having accuracy and in, in being able to have uh, visibility into all of those dynamics. Everybody wants to do it. Very few people can do it, and even fewer people can do it well and accurately. And I think that's really the crux of what we want to get to today. Thank you, Bill. Interesting. Kevin Foster, I'm going to put you on full speaker view. Talk to us. Agree, disagree, add. Go ahead, Kevin, you're up. 
No, absolutely. So completely agree with Bill, right? So, I mean, one of the things that we've had a problem with is getting down to what is actually the, the VIN profitability or product profitability for the, the total vehicle as it goes throughout the different parts of the organization, right? And so that information is imperative to be able to make strategic business decisions. And, you know, it impacts R&D, it impacts so many portions of the business that if you have that data, you know, six months after the fact, you don't have the ability to make the decisions at that particular point in time that are going to help benefit and increase your profitability in the market. Thank you very much. Bill, any comments back to Kevin? Uh, no, only that just to reemphasize the fact that it's it's important and, and- the problem is, is that in the industry, everybody says that they can do this, but again, very few people can, and to the level of accuracy that they need. So just anecdotally, if I'm an engineer and I'm actually doing some product design, let's say I'm working on the next year's model for the same vehicle or, or the next update for a vehicle, I'm going to go back into my electronic database of all the stuff and all my estimates and all of the suppliers that I used the last go around, I'm going to make some enhancements because product marketing wants me to do some enhancements to it. And I'm, and I'm basically going to reuse a lot of those estimates. Now, those estimates, and we're, you know, I, we're, we're kind of stealing a little thunder from the costing side, but it's important because it, it promulgates throughout the entire process. Those estimates are made on assumptions that are now already outdated. And it's very, very difficult to understand what those estimates truly are. And so those estimates, those risk holdings, those assumptions, those activity-based costing allocations just get thrown into the mix. And they're, they're traveled literally through the entire process of the value chain um, so that at the end of the day, nobody knows with full accuracy really what the profitability of a vehicle or how best to manage that vehicle across the different value chains should be. Thank you, Bill. There was a second part to the first topic. Let me read this and see if we want to cover this as well. Bill says, understanding vehicle demand allows for companies to maximize profit of vehicles and parts. We've got both there. By positioning them for sale. Now, listen up. Where and when needed, reducing waste, and reducing extraordinary transportation costs. There's a lot of moving parts, if I can can use a corny phrase here. Bill, you want to tackle a little bit of this, and then we'll see what Kevin has to say? Yeah, for sure. So, so this is um, this gets to the whole point of, of of product placement. So, where do I need to move my product so that it'll sell? And in the case of vehicles, um, and we have a unique situation here in North America where we're largely dealing with a light passenger vehicle dealer network, which is. Uh, franchise model. These can be very large, multi-billion dollar companies, but they're often privately held, family held businesses. So the, the vehicle makers can't just decide on behalf of the brand where it's directly going to go. They have to work and kind of negotiate with these large dealer chains um, and oftentimes with poor or incomplete information. Just an example anecdotally, I mean, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drop back into the Pop-Tart example. So, so one of our, so the maker of Kellogg's, the maker of Pop-Tarts actually realized that there was a hurricane phenomenon um, in Florida. And that is when 72 hours before an approaching storm arrives, there was a rush on Pop-Tarts. And not just a particular Pop-Tart, but strawberry, 
the frosted strawberry Pop-Tart. <laughs> and so they literally were able to maximize profits on, I'm not kidding, strawberry Pop-Tarts and, and move those into position 72 hours before a storm. Sold out. Everything. The same thing is beginning to happen in parts for vehicles. So if I have like weather patterns that predict a nor'eastern, I can front load certain parts into service dealerships so that they have the parts on on stock. Um, they know that maybe certain parts of the vehicle is going to get damaged. Um, but then they're also able to maximize um, net promoter score from their customers who can get their vehicles fixed in normal times, right? In normal times. Um, and we're starting to see the same thing for new vehicle positioning. So where does the vehicle need to be to maximize sales, maximize profit, and have that full kind of crystal ball view of where vehicles need to be in order to, to maximize uh, revenue and profit? Thank you, Bill. I'm trying to figure out my favorite flavor of Pop-Tart. Kevin, <laughs> did you have one you want to <laughs> – Kevin, we'd love for you to talk about where do you want the vehicles to be? How do you get them there? How do you have those insights? Can they be real-time? Kevin, thoughts, please? So, no, absolutely, right? And so, I mean, what we're getting to, towards is, you know, predictive, responsive supply chains. And when we're going through getting that data, what do you do with that rich, robust data that you now have where you can now throw that into a predictive model – based on trends saying what you're seeing. And we're seeing OEMs and other customers use this for predictive modeling around, you know, sales services, incentives, warranties, things of that nature's around how you can predict where the product needs to be and what type of sale is it going to be, right? So you can start to then get more accurate financials and start to plan for that. But then once you get that information, you can put that back into your planning cycle where you can then start to change your model mix based on demand mm -hmm. faster, based on profitability as well with that costing and profitability information. So again, how do you leverage that data to really make those strategic decisions to maximize profit? Thank you very much. Bill, anything you want to say back to Kevin before I move on to another topic? We good? No, I, I think it's just an incredible, um, valuable insight that, you know, we, we kind of wonder just anecdotally about how, how were we able to do things before. And to Kevin's point, you know, we have new tools in the way of intelligent data that allow us to do things that we haven't been able to do before. And I think that's, that's really an important point for listeners to take away. Thank you very much. And I'm thinking of before the pandemic, about two years before, I actually found the car of my dreams online. And never in my life would I have imagined that I would have been looking at one of those car something websites and I found the car of my dreams and I told them to hold it for me and they didn't. They sold it to someone else. 24 hours later, I said, I'm coming in with cash. I'm coming in with a fabulous trade-in of the same model two years earlier. And they call, I, I called them. I said, make an appointment. They said, no, we already sold it to somebody else. I said, what's the matter? My, my money and my trade-in weren't good enough. <laughs> two weeks later, Kevin, I found the same exact car on another website. Okay, the same exact car, a year newer, the same color, and closer to my home. And I called them up and I said, listen, you, don't you dare, don't you dare. I'll be there in 20 minutes with a check and a trade-in. And they said, the door is open, we're waiting for you. So I've never even imagined Bill having a car in the right place. If it's on the internet, it's always in the right place, isn't it, Bill? 
Well, it's 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 it. We're, that's the beauty of of doing car buying online, and we we, we digress a bit, but it's it's a great piece to it because yeah. it it allows everyone to to not have any type of geo association. I mean, even mm-hmm. to your point, even so, even five ten years ago, people would literally fly across country if they could get a good deal on a vehicle, yep. and and it would cover the cost of their travel and hotel stay. So it's just taking it to the next level using technology. Yep. Thank you very much. Let me move on to the next topic. Traditional cost buildup and activity-based costing models introduce error and assumptions to vehicle and product programs. I'm going to stop there and let Bill talk about how do you get back to the accuracy. Bill, and then we'll ask Kevin for his POV. Go ahead, Bill Newman. Well, and again, this gets back to the point that I that I began to intro around traveling. So, you know, each each stage of the value chain has its own function and its own um, set of planning, um, uh, build assumptions, estimates, and and they stack on top of each other as they work their way through the organization. And and largely, you know, when you look at activity based costing, that's that's fine. Um, in normal times, but as we start to, as margins become more crisp and the need to have accuracy um, becomes so much more important, um, having allocations of one, two, three, even 5%, that's just not precise enough anymore. So the, 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 our business has changed so that the assumptions that we worked with, say five, 10, even 20 years ago, they're just not acceptable enough anymore. And we need to operate with a higher level of accuracy, a higher level of visibility, and a, and a higher uh, level of um, understanding of the information because those one or two percentage points can, I think, as, as Kevin suggested earlier, can really shift our decision-making in terms of, of what we build and, and where we send it to. Thank you, Bill. Kevin, let's talk about accuracy. What's your perspective, please? Yeah, so I with with the solutions and systems that we have in place, you know, accuracy of profitability needs to be there, right? So as we start looking at what products we're producing, we need to understand are they making money? Are they being sold in the right market? Uh, to be able to make those strategic decisions on do we continue selling that product or that specific mix of products based on what configurations are profitable? And having that level of accuracy allows you to get there in terms of in a month by month basis, you can see what's selling, what your actual cost is on a per VIN product level, and then start to go through your portfolio and make decisions on, am I making money there or am I not? And if you go back to traditional capabilities, you couldn't get to that level of depth and you couldn't make those decisions, which led into possibly wrong decisions for selecting you know, a platform that was not profitable at, for the new model, which then you just incur that cost ongoing, right? So um, it's really leveraging the technology to take advantage of the data available. Thank you very much. Bill, anything you want to add before I move on to our final topic for this segment? Well, I think listeners can really appreciate what we're talking about because mm-hmm. there are a number of vehicle makers that have stopped making sedans in the last five years. And the reason they've stopped making sedans in the in the last five years, largely for two reasons. First of all, they weren't making any profit on those vehicles. Mm-hmm. They were a way simply to get people in the door so that they could graduate them through the brand and they could buy more expensive vehicles at some point in the future. Um, and the other piece to that was is that they realized that they were making so much profit 
on the uh, up-brand and SUV market space, and that's where consumers were beginning to buy. So why would you sell sedans in those situations when you weren't making any money on them and you could sell them a profitable car first, right? And and so you, you just sit there and you scratch your head and it's like, well, how come there aren't any sedans running around? It's because we, the consumers, have actually educated and told the vehicle makers don't build them for us anymore because we're we're just as easy to buy something that can make you money right away, and and that's really what we're driving to, and that's the motivation for um, for for behaving in this more accurate, efficient way. Very interesting. And they stopped making my favorite convertible, and I'm on my fifth model, but third convertible, and I'm going to have to buy a 2019 used for mega bucks to be able to stay in the same model. I won't tell you what it is, but Bill knows. Let's move on to our final topic, and the final topic is sales revenue can arrive from different systems, roll-ups, and aggregations, particularly from disconnected buyers such as distributors and dealer networks. Bill, I'm going to stop there and let you expand this, please. Yeah, I mean, you know, we we operate our business in North America, at least in the light passenger vehicle space, a little bit differently than we do in other markets where the brands might own the entire supply chain and value chain to deliver that made vehicle. Um, to you and I, who would buy it in a in a traditional dealership, not so in the in North America. In North America, it's it's again largely a franchised, uh, privately held, uh, fragmented type of uh, operation, um, and and. Because of that, um, two things are very interesting. First of all, the dealer, even though you may buy XYZ car, the dealer at the end of the day who you buy that vehicle from views you as their customer, not a customer of the brand. So that's always a point of contention um, between the brand and and the dealer space. And, And the second piece to that is, is that, you know, the, the dealerships and the, and the distributors, they all have different, again, different windows of what their profitability is. So as that, as that dealer receives their vehicle, that vehicle is sold from a distributor. And as the manufacturer um, travels that uh, vehicle, finished vehicle across the final you know, yellow marked line on the assembly line, manufacturing line floor, that is then purchased by the distributor. And so we have different windows of what our entry cost and what our margin is. And kind of bringing everything together to calculate that that margin, you need to have a very crisp roll-up view of where all your revenue is coming from. And so when it comes from different sources and you have different window pictures of what your profitability and those models look like, um, you have to understand, again, where your data is coming from, how accurate is it, and and how best to um, um, untravel some of those assumptions that are made throughout that entire process. So again, you can make accurate decisions and make the most money per vehicle you can. Thank you, Bill. Kevin Foster, love your POV on this. What do you think? Yeah, I absolutely agree, right? So I mean, as the car goes through the value chain and the different distributors, it actually takes a pause before you start then getting into some of the other services that besides the vehicle, you sell the customers, right? So over the air updates, which are now making, you know, entryway into the market with a lot of the EV space, as well as some of the subscription services like XM radio and Sirius radio, right? So it's one of those things where from the vehicle perspective, we stop for a second, but then we then hit the subscription services that's going to continue bringing revenue in for that vehicle as it progresses through its life cycle. Thank you very much. Progresses through its life cycle. 
And a quick question, Kevin Foster. By 2025, will you still have keys? If you still do now, keys to your own vehicle in your pocket or on the table near the door, will you still be driving something where you're actually holding a steering wheel and driving it? So I think I will because I love classic cars, right? So I'm really interested in the EV conversions in the classic space, right? However, I do love the efficiency of thinking I can take a road trip somewhere and work on my computer while I'm in there and enjoy the scenery while not having to think about uh, driving the steering wheel. So that was a very elegant hybrid response. Thank you, Kevin Foster. Bill, you're going to have keys 2025? Well, I think there's a difference between driving and just basic transportation. So I'm with Kevin, you know, I'm when I when I want to enjoy the scenery, I'm all for whatever automated transportation that's going to be. But uh, I, I'm part of the club that likes to drive. Um, I enjoy convertible lifestyle as well, just like I know you do, Bonnie. So yep. um, yeah, you know, over, out of out of my uh, uh, dead hands will my keys come. <laughs> They'll be in my pine box when they carry me out of the house someday. <laughs> I, I want to say ditto, but I don't want to scare anybody. <laughs> Bill Newman, Kevin Foster, thank you both for sharing your expertise, your passion. It's a complicated topic, but certainly one we need to give your thoughts on for our audience because the time has come to pay attention to this. Costing profitability, vehicles, people, processes, all good things. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Thank you so much for listening. This has been Automotive Insiders presented by OESA. Keep driving. Stay safe. Let's wave goodbye, Kevin and Bill. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Automotive Insiders, presented by OESA. Listen at your convenience to industry thought leaders as they discuss the ever-evolving industry and how companies can thrive in the new mobility landscape. All episodes are on demand on the Voice America Business Channel and at OESA.org. Automotive Insider is presented by the Original Equipment Suppliers Association.